They've been giving me a hard time about my coat, but uh, even though I was born, raised, spanked in Germany, I'm just cold. <laughs> and in Texas, it's still 90 degrees right now. So. I got to the tent this morning to listen to my son practice the piano and there were two dollars at the bear. <laughs> so God bless the person who uh, got the book and I think um, wherever he went, I'm going to help Jay with his car troubles. <laughs> Friday night, Sabbath is special. I think uh, Adam and Eve, they must have looked around and said, wow. And the next logical question for them would have to be, who made all this? And maybe Adam turned to Eve and uh, said, in Christ alone. And then came the fruit thing. And maybe Eve turned to Adam a second time and asked him, how, how are we going to make it now? They were wearing animal skin now, first sacrifice. And maybe Adam told Eve, in Christ alone. So I'm going to kneel again, pray with you, and then tell you my story. I'm going to start with a Bible story and then transition to I, how I ended up here. <laughs> I shouldn't be here. But uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this special time, a special space you have provided here at this camp meeting and the special people. In Christ alone, we can make it. And conversely, logically, rather simply, without you, we could not. I thank you for introducing me to this church in my teenage years, for the scriptures, for Sabbath, and for these people here. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, not Revelation 14 at this point, just Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, an ordinary day. People were putting out laundry on the line at the campground, children were riding their bicycles, some guy was trying to mark the road. A mechanic was working on a car. And, and then all of a sudden, everybody dropped everything because Jesus was in town. Mark chapter 2. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, Mark likes that word. He uses it about 40 times, like a tire pushed along that starts wobbling. You need to push it again. And it keeps rolling, and he, 
he pushes the story of Jesus on and on and on, all the way till we are in front of the cross. And then Mark says, here you go, in Christ alone. Immediately. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And then he, Mark writes, and he preached the word to them. That's good preaching. (laughs) I'm afraid in my ministry, I've not always preached the word. But Jesus preached the word. I would like to have that sermon. I'd copy it, plagiarize it, and preach it myself. But we we don't have it. What we do have is the action of the word. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Now, it is good to have friends like that. And I studied this in the Greek and Hebrew and looked in the writings of Ellen White, and I noticed that one of the four was from Texas. <laughs> one was from California. One was a man. One was a woman. One was a Hispanic who only spoke Spanish. One was from Brazil and only spoke Portuguese. One was a teenager. One was a child. Didn't matter. The only thing that mattered was carrying the man to Jesus. Nothing else. Now, they couldn't fix his problem, but they could carry him to Jesus. Now, watch what happens. Every good news, we call it the great controversy, every good news comes with bad news. The paralytic had been sick for a while, probably. By the way, if you read Ellen White, is our ages. Do you know how he got sick? It wasn't genetics, it wasn't a car accident, it wasn't falling off a ladder, tree trimming. It was a lifestyle. It was Saturday night, too much Saturday night. And he's, he's got a glimmer of hope. You know, he had given up hope, life on a mattress, neck down. The stuff got in his spinal cord, paralyzed. And, and then this Jesus comes along, and there's a little oxygen crossing a flickering flame. And he finds two church members that are not too busy to carry him to Jesus. Now, verse 4. I will tell you my story, but I need this first. When they could not come near him because of the crowd... Never, ever in life put a period where the Bible only puts a comma. Because they could have said, we tried, A for effort. We can try again tomorrow. We tried. There's too many people. Let me tell you something. When you cannot get in, you can't get around, there's always in life up. You can still go up. And the four friends, they said, there's another option here. Let's go up. And then I find it fascinating, verse 5. You know, I learned in English class that there are nouns that are concrete that you can touch and touch my Bible, my coat, the stand right here, cold metal. 
And they are abstract nouns. Faith, hope, love. You can't touch those. You can't see those. Can you? Mark chapter 2 verse 5. Abstract noun. Faith. When Jesus saw their faith. Sometimes faith is not an entry in a theological dictionary. Sometimes faith has sweat on your forehead and dirt underneath your fingernails. Now, that's not in the church manual. It didn't go through the church board. But the only thing that mattered was getting the man to Jesus. And so they... I know the deacons built that church 35 years ago and... But they said, we'll go through the roof, and Jesus could physically see their faith. Now, I already told you that the guy was sick because of sin. And Jesus says, he said to the paralytic, you sinner, you should have known better. What you reap is what you sow. You put yourself into this mess, you get yourself out of this mess. No, it's not what Jesus said. I mean, isn't that red ink here? It's the first red ink in chapter 2. Isn't that beautiful? Son. He's saying, you still belong to my family. I know you went out the back door as a teenager, even though you were at summer camp and camp meeting, all that. But you're still my son. Your sins are forgiven you, period. What else could you ask for in life? I mean... <laughs> Five verses, gospel in Christ alone. The guy is forgiven. We could end the story right here. But when I look at the gospel of Mark, that's not even 50%. Every good news in your life will solicit bad news. Because on the front pew, you're all right. When good news happens, bad news wakes up. And sure enough. Some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man? Now, if you have a King James or New King James or an older New American Standard Bible, 1971, I believe, the word man is italicized. So do you hear acoustically the audio, the tone of voice in those Pharisees? They don't even say man. They only say, why does this they call Jesus this. No. Why does this? It's a demonstrative masculine pronoun. Why does this? Why does this speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Does that sound familiar? In Christ alone? Immediately, Jesus perceived in his spirit... Never give up doing bad news because Jesus is right there. He doesn't allow bad news to continue forever. Immediately in the Gospel of Mark, he intercepts that and says, he, he, he knew what they reasoned thus within themselves. He said, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? Uh, I've noticed in my... XYZ years of life <laughs> that I can't blame my boss, I cannot blame the conference, I can't blame Ted Wilson, I can't blame the people that think different on ordination, I can't blame my wife, I can't blame my children, I can't even bla blame Obama. 
When I honestly look in the mirror, and I'm really honest, and that takes a while, my problems are a problem with my heart. When I reason thus within myself, that's my problem. And Jesus deals with that, and uh, I find it interesting. The paralytic came in order to be healed. At what point does he get healed? It is only when there is a conflict, a controversy, and tension. Out of bad news, Jesus creates the second good news in the story here. And he said to the paralytic, the second time he speaks to the paralytic, I hope, I hope you have time every day in your life where Jesus speaks to you. I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Third, immediately now, immediately he arose, took up the bed that used to be his misery. It's now his mission. That's how God can turn things around. So that all were amazed and glorified God. Three angels' message. What does it say? Fear God and give glory to him. Why do we glorify God? Because he has healed us and granted us forgiveness. Embedded in the three angels' message. Right here expressed in the gospel. Glorified God saying we never saw anything like this. Somebody carried this man to Jesus Christ. And somebody did that to me. Let me tell you the story. I, I grew up in a very loving, solid, secure home. No TV. Lutheran parents, we never went to church except Christmas or maybe a wedding or a special event. Christmas, they passed out free cookies. But there was no Bible in my home, no church. I went to confirmation school for two years in the Lutheran church, and I don't know what we did in those two years. We never studied the Bible. There was never an appeal to give your heart to Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was 14. Don't remember God from that. And... Uh, at age 13, 14, I'm in downtown Stuttgart, um, Saturday night. I don't know what a 13, 14-year-old is supposed to do Saturday night downtown in Stuttgart, Germany. And, but I was there, and there were some guys fighting. There was even some blood. You know, it's cool to watch. Whole crowd gathered watching those guys fighting. Then the cops showed up in riot gear, dispersed everybody, sent everybody home dealt with the situation, and a guy next to me elbowed me. I am 13, 14 years old, okay? Now, you got to get the picture. I, uh, I belong to Greenpeace. My hair is rather short through the shock of my mother. I'm a neo-pagan, postmodern, secular, European teenager without a church background. Never been to camp meeting, never been to summer camp, never had a week of prayer, never read the Bible. Except in class in public high school in Germany, but it was so philosophical, it had very little spiritual appeal. And uh, this guy elbows me and says, I'll buy you a Coke. 
Now, parents, everything I'm going to say tonight is kosher, but I'll, I'll tell you the whole story. My parents never bought us a Coke. They were not Seventh-day Adventists, but my dad said, that's like moth juice, that's bad. The, the closest we got was on a field trip or a family outing where we could have a spezi. A spezi is 50% Fanta, orange lemonade, and Coke mixed together. That was a special treat. <laughs> so this guy must be a really nice guy offering me a Coke. So we went to what, as far as you're concerned, would be a restaurant. And he bought me a Coke. A really nice guy. Then he said, let's go for a walk. I'm a neo-pagan, postmodern, secular European. And what do I know? So we went for a walk. We sat down at a park bench, and he had his arm behind me, which was a little awkward, you know, but what do I know? And then he said, for 200 Deutschmarks, which is a lot of money, for 200 Deutschmarks, we can go behind these bushes here, and I won't finish the sentence. Now, I'm a neo-pagan, postmodern, non-church-attending, unchurched, secular European teenager without any spiritual input, no week of prayer. And when I mowed the yard or cleaned out the gutter or swept the driveway in Germany, Stuttgart, we have rules when to sweep the driveway. <laughs> My mom would give me a, a dollar, two dollars or so, so 200 that is a large sum of money. I will tell you tomorrow night what I did. No. <laughs> no, I will tell you tonight. I, I think there must have been panic in heaven. There's a teenager about to mess up his life. And I, I have to tell you that uh, my uncle was married later on in Germany to a Thomas. My uncle, not my aunt, my uncle was made to Thomas. And so I grew up with my uncle having a roommate. That's all we ever said. I didn't know that relationship at all. I knew my uncle had a roommate. That was it. He had a roommate. And here I am on this park bench. I went back to this park bench in March when I was at a youth in Mission Congress in, in Germany. And uh, you can't get to it anymore because they're changing the, they're turning the railway station 90 degrees and they're dropping it 30 feet. That's a construction site. <laughs> and, and the park bench is gone. But I looked at that area and thought, wow, God. <laughs> Here's what happened. Panic in heaven, I think. Angels scurrying around. And I, I think now, looking back on it, what must have happened is I have about three seconds to decide and change my life, you know. I think God told the angels, relax, relax, got it under control. The Holy Spirit moved from South Lake Tahoe to downtown Stuttgart, Germany. And he moved between me and the man, and after about three seconds of my wheels turning, never confront, been confronted with that kind of reality, I got up and left. 
If I had not gotten up and left, I do not think I would be standing here tonight. My wheels were still turning. I headed straight to the subway and went home. I never told my parents. Now, they listened to my stuff on the Internet uh, sometimes. I don't know if they ever heard this part. I don't know. But uh, I went home with my wheels turning for quite a while. Um, right during that time, my dad and I went to an open-air market on Saturday, not on Sabbath. Sabbath is for the Jews at that point. The only thing about Sabbath I knew was... Um, my, my brother and I know TV, we built stuff constantly. Forts and cars, little cars and airplanes and stuff. And there was a Hobby Lobby type place, Michael's type place near where we lived. And opposite that was the Jewish synagogue and the roads were blocked by police. That's all I knew about Sabbath. We walked by the Adventist church many times, never paid any attention to it. And my dad are at this open-air market, and a guy hands me something like a glow track. My dad saw that, because I remember the mental picture of this gentleman at the salad stand, the letter stand, handing me this pamphlet. My dad laughed, because he knew that was religious, sectarian, cultist stuff. I took it, took it home. It was about Jesus and dating and girls. I didn't know Jesus and girls and dating go together. <laughs> I opened it up, immediately recognized it, religious garbage, threw it in the corner, paid no attention to it. Right around that time, I don't know if we have any teenagers here, they probably all in the youth tent. Oh, there's a couple back there. <laughs> I see Evelyn, her brother. Right around that time, I'm now 16 almost 17. I know this never happens to students in America, but I got so sick and tired of school, I was ready to drop out. And to help my English, I subscribed to Time Magazine, and in the middle of Time Magazine, there was an ad, the European edition, for free, well, not free acres, but undeveloped raw acreage in the jungle of Bolivia. There's an address and a phone number. No website back then. That's how old I am. There's an address and a phone number for uh, a contact in Amsterdam at the airport in the Netherlands. And I showed it to my dad and said, I would like to get that land and live out there. <laughs> God bless my dad. He did not get upset. He listened to me very patiently and he recognized my grades were going down. I was severely depressed okay? and uh, not doing well in school at all, always discouraged, crying over math, and, and just having a hard time. He said, why don't you take a year off? This Bolivia thing might be a little rough. How about exchange student to America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa? You pick. I said, okay, um, go west, young man. <laughs> America. I want to go to America. So I signed up with a secular organization, had nothing to do with any church, International Cultural Exchange, ICX. 
Uh, my dad had been in the United States one year in 1953, American Field Service. Um, uh, he, he knew about all that. And so I signed up to go to a family in Fayetteville, Arkansas. One little problem. I was severely allergic to animal hair. And back then in Germany, allergies were not a word yet. I mean, the medical community knew about it, but my pediatrician did not believe I was allergic to animal hair. So he said uh, to my mom, take him to a horse stable. I almost died. I mean, I swelled up. Uh, red dots, teary-eyed, could barely breathe. They gave me calcium. He said, he has allergies. <laughs> then I went through the, the test with the dots and the grass. I think I reacted to every grass they checked, trees, everything, bubbled up, fish, certain fish, all that. And uh, the family in Fayetteville, Arkansas, had a dog in the home. I found it out on the information sheet, and, and just weeks before I left for the United States, uh, that was summer of 1985, I contacted the organization said, I cannot go to Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, would the family be willing to put the dog outside? <laughs> no, no. Plus the animal hair is in the carpet and the AC units, yeah. So they scrambled, and they found a family. I don't know if you've ever heard of the place. It's about an hour south of Dallas, Texas, called Keene, Texas, 76059. That's like Angwin, California. And that family had signed up for a student from Spain because the family's son wanted to improve his Spanish. That fell through for some reason, and last minute, they put two and two together, and I was rerouted August 21st, American Airlines Flight 71, flown it many times now, Frankfurt, to DFW, and I went to a family in Keene, Texas. Very friendly people. The guy that picked me up waved. It's August in Texas. He waved from Dallas to Keene the entire time to everybody. Then I found out he was just feeling the AC in the car. <laughs> I, I walked out of DFW Airport. It's 105 degrees. I, I thought I was walking into a wall. <laughs> what is this? What is this? I have to tell you something. My parents, can you believe it? Teenagers, young adults, you know. They made me clean up my room before I went to America. <laughs> What's up with that? And I found in the corner the glow track. And the Holy Spirit moved from downtown Stuttgart to my little room upstairs in, in Feuerbach, Stuttgart. And I read the pamphlet. I had never been taught about kneeling. I still have that little rug. I have a little rug in front of my bed in, in Stuttgart, Germany. I knelt down. Nobody had ever told me about kneeling for prayer. I knelt down and said, God, send me to a Christian family. That Sunday before I left for America, I went to church, my Lutheran church. My parents thought I'd, I was losing it. My brother just shook his head. 
Now, this is kind of odd, but this is what happened. I'm sitting in church. It's a gray, cloudy day. Capacity is about 2,000, 3,000 seats, maybe. There are 20 old ladies in church. The, the old men all died in World War II. <laughs> uh, or didn't go to church. There are no teenagers. I'm the only guy in the church. I lowered the average age from 74.6 to 72.3. <laughs> and, the, and the sun was breaking through the clouds through the stained glass window, and it was shining on where I was sitting. And I, I thought that was creepy. <laughs> I thought, this is weird. So I'm sitting there in church. Nobody talks to me. No potluck, no haystacks, no veggie burgers. So church is over. I get up. Pastor shakes my hand. I I leave and I I go to America and I end up in Keene, Texas. When I got to Keene, Texas, in my room there was a letter on how the family functioned. What to do with the dirty dishes. What to do with laundry. When to mow the yard. Where I get my school bus ticket. And where do I meet the school bus. And how I register at Cleburne High School. Public high school, not academy. And, and all that. And, and then there was a paragraph uh, about the dog. And we go to church on Saturday Sabbath. There's no problem. I, I realized I was in a Jewish family. <laughs> and I also noticed in Keene at the time, they rolled up the sidewalk, sidewalk Friday afternoon at 6 p.m. And things kind of shut down. When I was in Germany, Saturday was oil change, yard mowing, weed eating, shopping. It was a busy day, and Sunday was a little calmer with the church bells ringing, and we go on a trip to the lake. Then they fed me liver and onions, and I said, that's good liver. And he said, that's not liver. That is tofu. (laughs) I... I don't think tofu was even in my dictionary. <laughs> I never heard of that meat. Now, something got my attention. At that point, I still suffered from depression and no medication. I was on medication later in my life. I'll talk about that. Uh, I'm not now. <laughs> Are are you saying I need it? (laughs) Ah. No, I overcame in Christ alone and a dietary change. And and I want to talk about that. When I got to America, I grew up eating everything that moved, had a face or a mom. Let me give you some samples. We ate cow tongue. We ate cow tail, oxtail soup. We ate kidneys. I mean, you could even see the shape of the kidney. You can see the inner lining of the kidney. We ate mussels. We ate seafood. We, uh, one time on vacation, I ate octopus. And, and I thought that was nasty, even without Ellen White and Adventism. <laughs> and uh, I, I got to tell you this. We slept in bunk beds. I was upstairs and my brother in the lower one. And at 2 a.m., the octopus decided to come back out. (laughs) And I was done with seafood before I was baptized. (laughs) 
horrible stuff. Uh, what else? Liver, you know. But my favorite was roasted pork belly. It's got the hair still sticking out. There's about a quarter inch layer of fat that you slurp on and you chew on the skin and then you leave the rest on your plate. You can buy that in the United States at any PetSmart. <laughs> Probably 51% psychologically, but 49% diet. I suffered from severe neurodermatitis, eczema. My eyes were inflamed where teachers in high school in Germany would ask me if everything was okay at home. I was dark red, rings. Uh, my skin on my hands was cracked and in the winter especially bleeding. And I was on a prescription strength dose of cortisone every single day. That's bad for your kidneys. Okay. I think it was 1.25% upwards, um, way beyond over-the-counter, and I caked it on every day. And uh, in Germany, I walked through Walmart, didn't have Walmart, but the equivalent. I, I'm a teenager suffering, suffering from very low self-esteem. I had to reach up to tie my shoelaces. Um, and people turned their head as I walked by to look at me. You know, it, that didn't help matters. So th this is how I arrived in America. I became involuntarily vegetarian overnight. <laughs> and after six weeks, I was off the cortisone. And that got my attention. Right. Then I saw on the bookshelf some red books by Ellen G. White. I didn't know who that lady was. She might as well lived in the community, because people talked about Ellen White. I went to church every Sabbath, almost, just to learn English. Morris Venden was the pastor in Keene. And uh, I listened to his sermons just to learn English, and sometimes I stayed for second service. Let me listen to that again. And... Uh, I read Ministry of Healing because I needed healing. I was a wreck. And uh, that, my parents know, made them very upset. They, uh, I'll tell you later how we related after we became Adventists, but uh, we're okay now. But this Ministry of Healing, let me tell you something about Ellen White. I, I didn't know who she was. But with my English second language reading her writings, I thought her English was understandable and beautiful. It was pleasing for me to read her writings. Okay. Nobody told me, you need to read Ellen White. You need to read Ellen White. No, it was just pleasant to read. Then um, I, I got a Bible. My host parents took me to a yard sale. I got a $5 bicycle to ride to the school bus, and I was looking at a Bible. And the guy who owned the Bible, Jack Gibbons, he has passed away now, he said, are you interested in this Bible? And I, I mumbled something, and he said, I, I think he gave it to me for free. I don't remember, or, or at a discount. And now I had an English Bible. And uh, after high school, came home from the school bus at around four. Do you know what I did? 
no video games, no TV, piano practice, and then I read the Bible. Didn't understand half of it, but I started in Genesis, and I marked things, pork, Leviticus, sanctuary, baptism, immersion, Sabbath, and I created my own concordance. I don't know if I made it through the entire Bible, but I'd read for hours. Every day after high school, homework done, I read Bible. Now, there's a postcard in front of me. I'm writing a, a girl, classmate of mine in Germany, about my experience in America. And I put in writing, quote, I don't think I will ever become a Seventh-day Adventist. Period. Ingo. And I wrote other stuff. It's hot in Texas. And <laughs> I'm learning English. And stamp on it. And I mailed it off. And I think God saw that. That postcard. And he said, oh, really? <laughs> Bring it on, young man. <laughs> I'm up to the challenge. Unfortunately, it took a death to wake up this sleepy, neo-pagan, postmodern, Greenpeace-belonging teenager. I was, uh, the, the family I stayed with had a 25-year-old son, very popular on the campus of Southwestern Adventist Co uh, University. And uh, he borrowed his brother's motorcycle to play, no, to go to a Methodist picnic uh, where the church, where he played the organ on Sundays and Wednesday nights for a Methodist church. He was Adventist, but played piano and organ for the Methodist church. He rode the motorcycle to the picnic, I'm jogging along Old Mansfield Road in Keene. Back then, we all jogged. <laughs> in Tahoe, people jogged too, but jogging was it. That was 19, uh, just about 1986, January or so. And I hear a motorcycle behind me. He waves, I wave, I jog back home, and the phone rings. Parents are not home. My English is still rather broken. And it's Joshua Police Department. And I, I can't understand what happened, but I can tell something bad happened. The police department finally gives up, and um, I hang up. And I go to the neighbors, and I say, something bad happened. And uh, they call around, and they finally figure out, on his way home, he had his helmet on, Station wagon turned in front of him, head hit the upper corner of the station wagon, flew off the motorcycle, airlifted to Harris Methodist Hospital, intracranial pressure above 20, get the helmet off. I think it was over 100 units of blood, vitamin K. 24 hours later, he passed away. My host father picked me up from high school. I said, is Dale okay? That was his name, Dale. Dale Heinrich. Yeah. Um, he didn't say anything. He said, we need to go to the hospital. He had already passed away. And it was quiet on the way up to uh, Harris Methodist. I got to the hospital. There was Morris Venden calmly standing in the corner. And I had never seen anything like this. People were crying. I, I figured out what had happened. Total shock to me. I'm in a foreign country. Okay? 
and the son of the family I stay with just died in a motorcycle accident. People were crying, but they were also hugging, and there was also laughter. I had never seen anything like this. When, when people die in Germany, I mean, my own dad, I, I preached at my grandma's funeral and told a funny story out of her life. I didn't laugh, but I smiled. He told me afterwards, Ingo, we don't smile at funerals. I said, okay. Then there was food coming to the home. I was like, wow, never seen anything like this. Then uh, I, I played the piano at his funeral. You want to hear? Is it on? I'll give you a sample. Okay, it's, it's audio file three. You ready? <laughs> I, I played Schubert uh, impromptu G flat major. Like that. <laughs> you want to hear the rest of it. The rest would require an extra offering, but no, just kidding. Just kidding. No, just kidding. Uh, I have a substitute, uh, my son, tomorrow. Yeah. I played the piano, and then uh, people kept saying, Ingo, Dale would have enjoyed that. And... Um, after a while, I got tired of that English grammar because I looked in my little English book, would have. That's an if clause. That's a conditional clause where a condition might not be met. And I'm like, I played, and they say he would have enjoyed that. That means he didn't. <laughs> so that was puzzling to me. Um... I came home from Cleburne High School and his room was empty. Freaked me out. I thought, what if his ghost is still in there? Because I grew up with the understanding that the dead are not dead. Um, I'll, I'll give you one uh, example. I was six years old, seven, eight or so, young boy. And I went to a birthday party and I had to cross the cemetery. And uh, that's no problem during daylight hours. I got two party favor bags, not just one. I got somebody else's party favor bag. I came home and told my mom, Mom, look, I got two bags. She said, how come you got two bags? I said, well, uh, I didn't get very far with Frau Sorky. And uh, <laughs> she made me take one bag back which meant crossing the cemetery at dark. I got to the friend's home, delivered the party bag, and now it was pitch black dark and I had to cross the cemetery. In my theology, at age eight in Germany, I had two options. Either tiptoe across the cemetery and the dead won't notice me. <laughs> or run as fast as I could and if they reached out from the grave, they couldn't catch me. That's what I thought. So I opted for a hybrid model, tippy-tippy-tiptoe first halfway, and then run as fast as I could. <laughs> Somebody had shut the gate. <laughs> I, 
I think I ran faster than, I used to say Charles Lewis, but now it's Usain Bolt or somebody. I scaled the wall of the cemetery, made it out alive, got back. So that's my theology on death, even at the age of 18. And uh, somebody said, Dale at potluck, Dale would have enjoyed that. I had enough of that. I said he did. <laughs> he did. The guy, Keith Dobbs, he didn't say anything. He took a Bible and then said, where do you think Dale is? I said, if he was good, he's up there. If he was bad, heaven forbid, he's down there. He said, oh, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. I just opened the Bible and it opened to First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. You know the text. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who fall asleep, lest you sorrow like those who have no hope. He said, read this. I did. Read it again. And then I thought, it's, oh, Jesus went into the grave, and uh, we go into the grave, and then Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't come down. He rose from the dead, and so we will rise from the dead. Keith didn't say anything else, and um, that left an impression on me. Just before Dale died, he took me to California, Jim Jacobson's house, the dentist in Corona del Mar. He now lives in Arizona. It's my 18th birthday, and we're lying on the living room floor of this dentist's home. And for my birthday, Dale tells me, Ingo, if you don't make up your mind about God, you'll never make it. And then he rolled over and fell asleep. <laughs> and my wheels are turning again. I'm not falling asleep. And I'm thinking about thinking about And then a week later, that happened. So nobody ever invited me to Jesus, give my heart to Jesus, to Bible study. But I went to ch uh, church every Sabbath except one or two. It was Friday evening, just like tonight, about this time. And I wanted to do my laundry. And I put my laundry in. I learned not to put reds with whites and turn it on hot. <laughs> Every guy has to go through that. <laughs> and the lady of the house comes out. I already got my soap dumped in there, my water, figured out the cycle and all that. And she says, we don't do laundry on Friday night. You cannot do your laundry on Friday night. It's Sabbath. Well, I'm 17, and with my attitude, I, I didn't say it, but I thought, I can do laundry anytime I want. <laughs> Including Friday night, because it might be your Sabbath, it's not my Sabbath. And so uh, I couldn't do my laundry. She was pretty firm about it. And I went, went to my room and listened to Pink Floyd The Wall. <laughs> Out of rebellion. Okay? I never really liked rock music ever, just like never drank. But uh, that night I played Pink Floyd The Wall over and over. Now, teenagers, do you recognize the combination of rebellion and rock music? I'm not Christian Bedal, but I do want to mention that. Rebellion, rock music, hand in hand. 
So I didn't go to church the next Sabbath. That the, the, the next day, I, I boycotted Sabbath. <laughs> I was in a state of denial. And then I went to church, and it was communion Sabbath. And Morris Venden is preaching. All of a sudden, he stops, and there's no closing hymn. That's messing up with my routine. I, I, had this, I had this Adventist church thing figured out. I love the children's story, offering and all that, but there was no closing hymn. Everybody got up and left. I don't know where my host parents were, but uh, I'm sitting alone in the pew, and an old guy comes up to me and says, now remember, I'm still a neo-pagan, postmodern, secular, Greenpeace-belonging European teenager. And an old guy comes up to me and says, do you have a partner? <laughs> now, I recognize they might have churches like that now, but I didn't know about that back then. Uh, that was bad of me to say. I said, no, he said, come with me. <laughs> we got to the fellowship hall, and I peek in there, and I can't believe my eyes. There are guys sitting in there with their pants up and no shoes on. He says, have you ever done this? I said, done what? <laughs> now, bless his heart. I, I don't know his name. I hope to see him in heaven. I don't know if he ever registered who I was. But if we meet in heaven, that'll be something. He took a minute and explained foot washing to me. I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy there's a youth tent. And my kids love it. They need a break from me. <laughs> But we cannot always separate the younger ones from the older ones. This old gentleman explained foot washing to me. He washed my feet, then I washed his crusty, <laughs> in desperate need of some lotion <laughs> feet. He prayed for me, and uh, then we had communion. It's two weeks before I have to go back home. And um, I went through Amazing Facts study guides on my own. I read the Bible. I'm starting to think about going back to Germany. It's a Wednesday night. I attended prayer meeting every Wednesday night because the old people were so nice to me. It was, it was love at prayer meeting. Um, so I went. My host parents didn't even go every Wednesday night. And the thought struck me, I need to get baptized. I don't know where that thought came from. Well, I do know, but I'm on my $5 yard sale bicycle. I ride my bicycle to the church, knock on the door. Guy opens the door, and I say, I'm here to get baptized. <laughs> There's a Phil Payne, a youth pastor. Uh, <laughs> It took him a second. Um, he said, do you have time? I said, yes. He said, come in. God bless that youth pastor. He took two hours and explained to me the, well, he first said, let's study for the next six months. I said, I have two weeks. I'm going back to Germany. He said, let's study right now. 
the whole nine yards. He took two hours, explained to me the plan of salvation. He looked at my Bible, noticed that I had read my Bible. Uh, he answered my questions, and then he said, are you ready to become a Seventh-day Adventist? I said, no. <laughs> now that took him off guard. I said, I want to be baptized in Jesus. I don't want to join any church. He said, do you have another 30 minutes? <laughs> he explained to me in Christ alone and church membership and keen church and local church. I said, sign me up. He arranged it um, for me to be baptized May 31st, 1986, 2 p.m. during camp meeting. And I got to tell you something about camp meeting. I had attended camp meeting that week every morning at 7 a.m. with John Carter preaching about beasts I had never heard of. <laughs> but I thought, this is fascinating, this prophecy stuff. He went through Daniel and Revelation. I didn't understand half of it. You know, it's, prophecy to me is like learning a foreign language and exercise. The moment you stop, you regress. You got to stay with prophecy to, to get all the beasts straight in Daniel 7 and 8 and how it correlates to Revelation and all that. But he preached every morning at 7, and, and I thought, this is it. This is it. I got baptized. And um, you need to understand something. Back then, long distance phone calls cost about $5 a minute. Um, Evelyn, that's before Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and all that. <laughs> no email. My parents and I had not talked for an entire year. We talked twice, once on my birthday. I called them from California because the dentist let me use his phone. For 10 minutes, that boggled my mind. He just spent 50 bucks on me. That was an investment, well worth it. And then when, when Dale died, I called my parents and told them what happened. But we had not spoken for an entire year. They found out that I had joined a cult. <laughs> Seventh something. Where they probably drink blood and meet in the woods and <laughs> dance around slaughtered chickens or something. Because in Europe, if you're not Lutheran, don't go to church, but if you're not Lutheran or Catholic or atheist, you must be communist or something weird. The ride from Frankfurt Airport, where they picked me up, to Stuttgart is four hours as far as you're concerned. We do it in two and a half hours <laughs> in, in Germany. Uh, my dad had a BMW 2800, and we make those horses run on the Autobahn. When I go to Germany to um, see my parents or speak, I'm on the Autobahn. I go 110 miles an hour. That's my comfort zone. I get passed like a lame duck. We did not speak uh, for two and a half hours. My dad quoted the Bible to me for the first time. And the reason is, in Germany, we don't really have college. You go from 13th grade high school directly into your master's program, law school, med school, etc., and you major for your master's in grade 12 and 13. And guess on what day those classes for your major are taught? On Saturday. I double majored English, biology, 
I wanted to be a doctor, actually a pharmacist. My hobby was not stamps, but uh, mixing stuff together. <laughs> Even during recess, us little guy mixed stuff together. We went to the pharmacy to buy drugs, not to inhale them or smoke them or shoot them up or anything. No, no, we don't do that. But during recess, we mixed the right ones together, and you have to go to one pharmacy, buy one substance, another pharmacy, another, otherwise they get suspicious. And then we put them in an enclosed container, and then it goes boom. <laughs> That's what we did during recess. I knew when people got sick in my family circle, I knew exactly what the doctor would prescribe because I collected all those prescription papers, read them, memorized them, and I knew who gets what when. And... Um, here I am, English biology major, class on Saturday, and my dad quoted scripture to me for the first time in my life. What do you think? Honor father and mother. <laughs> I went to school for six months with my conscience killing me. Now, the Adventist Church in Germany has a, a policy that it's up to the individual student to decide. In Russia, the parents get arrested if you don't go to school on Saturday. In Germany, it's a little more lenient, but we have mandatory school attendance by the state. Okay? You can't skip two weeks and nothing happens. So I went to school on Saturday, my conscience killing me, and finally I, I got the courage. I went to my teachers. They said, we don't do God. Go to the principal. I went to the principal shaking. So nervous, I explained to him Ten Commandments, Seventh-day Adventist. He listened patiently. He said, because of the Jews, we have a rule that you can miss Saturday, but you have to make it up and don't let your grades drop. Once I took a stand for the Sabbath, my grades went up. Okay? Um, uh, I could tell you lots of stories. I, our third foreign language we had to learn was Latin or Russian. I saw my brother die in Latin. I said, I'm not doing that. We were four schools in the entire state that offered Russian because if you scored high during the military exam, they would put you near the border to listen to the Russians. They listened to us. Stuttgart back then was NATO headquarters for Eastern Command if something happened. So I, I went to the Soviet Union many times, uh, seven times during the Cold War. Now I was Adventist. You're not allowed to take Bibles into Russia. It's dark now and I have to quit. Five more minutes? Five more minutes. <laughs> I, I learned that the Russians don't have Bibles. They meet in secret. And here we, as Germans at that high school... Our field trips were not London, Paris, Rome. Well, we did that too, but you know, our field trips were to Moscow, Leningrad, back then, Samarkand, Bukhara, Tashkent, Almaty, Murmansk, Petrozavodsk, Khabarovsk, Novosibirsk. Those were our field trips. And we had an underground printing press in Germany printing Russian materials for people to smuggle over there. Every trip I went there, I loaded up my suitcase with Russian Bibles, I gave two Bibles to every classmate. That's how many you can take. And then once we got into the Soviet Union, I collected all the Bibles. Well, one trip, that was um, 
Gorbachev was already in power, Brezhnev, Andropov, Chernenko, Gorbachev. Yeah, he was already in, but it was still Soviet Union. And we get to Sheremetyevo Airport, and the soldier in front of me says to the guy in front of me, Open your suitcase. They check everything. They pull on your film. That's how we took pictures back then. <laughs> they squeeze your toothpaste, make sure it's toothpaste, and they check, check your shoes, make sure they're not glued together with something in it. They check everything. I thought if he does that to my suitcase, it is loaded with Russian materials. I'm toast. Say, God, this is your stuff. The goal is to take it to Irkutsk in Siberia, middle of nowhere. And it comes my turn, and the soldier, without looking at me, goes like this. So I'm in. I'm in. And we got those Bibles to Siberia, the far end. Khabarovsk established a Russian lending library. The, the pastor visited me in Germany. It's a 10-day train trip. And uh, just experiences like that. I finished as a biology major, and I don't know why, I applied to the university in Tübingen, very famous university, as a theology major. <laughs> I'm working for Bosch. If you're driving Mercedes, there's Bosch stuff in your Mercedes. I'm working at Bosch to, to make money to see a young lady. <laughs> That's coming up. To visit America, and um, I, the people tell me, why don't you get a real degree? When they ask me, what are you doing in college? I say, theology, Lutheran theology as an Adventist. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> no biology, no pre-med. I took the MCAT and signed up for theology, and after two and a half years of rather secular philosophical theology in Tübingen, I realized uh, this, this is not godly. There are theo majors, male, female, living together, and just bad, bad situations. I, I live by myself. Okay. In an apartment, 170 Deutschmarks per month, no shower. My soy milk, I kept on the window seal, refrigerated. <laughs> That's how I lived. But after two and a half years, uh, I wasn't going anywhere spiritually, and I needed to make a switch to an Adventist school. Now, I had to make a decision. Where do I go? Russia? East Germany, West Germany, South Africa, Keene, Texas. <laughs> because before I left America, I met a young lady who was Baptist. In front of my locker, we got introduced, and teenagers, without Facebook email, we wrote real letters made out of paper, written with a pen, <laughs> for six years. We still got those letters. Some of them smelled good. <laughs> ah, that's TMI, TMI. Um, <laughs> but we, we didn't see each other for two years. And then I came to visit, and uh, I made a list, and Keene, Texas, Southwestern was at the bottom of the list. I even visited Weimar, loved it very much. Henry Martin was there, Herbert Douglas. But for some reason, I signed up for Southwestern Adventist University, and uh, we got married once I finished college. Amen? Amen. Hint, hint. <laughs> uh, you're welcome, parents. You can pay me later. 
have have two boys now. You've you've seen them around, Kenton and and Colin. Been married over twenty years. I I had no plans really when I went to Southwestern, but the Texas conference uh, noticed me. Nancy and I went to summer camp together, and then on a mission trip in Texas together, we knocked on thousands of doors, drove 700 miles in four weeks to invite people to a Revelation seminar, and they offered me a church district. I was scared to death. Uh, I was not one of those seniors who thought they knew everything still. So I'm going to put in this church, a district, a large church and a small church. I'll give you two examples out of my ministry and I'll wrap it up. And... uh, my small church, typical Adventist church, membership 45, small church, attendance 30. I got there Tuesday night. Wednesday night was big church prayer meeting. Small church was Tuesday night. I got there, opened the door. I was late. They didn't look at me. I said, I'm your new pastor. They said, pull up a chair. We're reading Acts of the Apostles. <laughs> so I was like, Nominating committee, one hour and a half Sunday morning. I had no input. They said, would you do social uh, community service? Yes. You be head elder again? Yes. Pastor, we're done. Here's the list. Okay. (laughs) Then I got to thinking. The town I I was in with a small church uh, had a population of 60,000. Church attendance, 30. I said, God, that's not right. 60,000 people and only 30 show up on Sabbath morning, Sabbath after Sabbath. I played the piano. I picked up the offering. I preached. I prayed. I did prayer meeting almost every Tuesday. The large church protested, but I said, the little church needs me more than you guys. I visited. I knocked on doors, 30 people. We invited an evangelist blanketed the city with 50,000 flyers. He preached good attendance and we baptized zero. I thought, if the evangelist can't do it, I'll do it. I did a follow-up Daniel Revelation seminar. I had good interest. My best one, I knocked on the door. The guy said, we're getting a divorce. Slammed the door shut. That was it. We baptized zero. I said, Ingo, children, children's ministries, pathfinders, adventurers. I got the big guy from the big church down. We tied knots, made a, a, a wall with knots. We got T-shirts. We did invitations. We knocked on doors. Let's get the kids. Then we'll get the parents. How many showed up? Zero. I got a little discouraged. We did a stop smoking clinic. Health ministries, one guy showed up. I don't know if he stayed till the end. I was done with ministry. Maybe get into business or nursing. The conference protested. I, I said, I'm out. I need, a, I need a vacation. But I hadn't met my in-gathering goal. In Texas back then, you don't meet your in-gathering goal. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> phone calls, phone calls. We're going on vacation because I'm done. We're driving to Glacier View Ranch in the middle of winter, pondering what next. And I, I don't hear voices. I'm not on medicine. <laughs> but it was a distinct impression, God saying, Inga, you're doing good, but you're not involving me. I can't bless that, because then you would think you are successful. It's very dangerous. 
ask me, I'll give them to you. Just ask me. Uh, I, I'm like, okay. 60,000 people. Lord, 30 in church, double it. Give me 60. Give me 60. I remember the day we're driving in our Honda Civic, 183,000 miles down to the little church, Sabbath morning, and I'm like, God, this is up to you. I've, <laughs> I've done what I could. I get out of my car. We didn't even have a parking lot. The deacon comes out and says, Pastor, we need more chairs. We counted 64 people in church that day. And then God played a trick on me. He sent me a doctor to town, new doctor in town, Adventist doctor, who raided the hospital cafeteria every Sabbath at 11 and brought food to the church. I mean, that's evangelism. We averaged over 60 every Sabbath from that day forward. So I learned my lesson. Then I got, uh, went to Andrews, got another district, and uh, I, this time I learned my lesson. We did evangelism and all that, but I prayed first, and God has a sense of humor. Oakwood University came through town, and my church of 150 members, first Sabbath, had over 200 in attendance. We had a half an acre next to us. I'm going to wrap it up here. We had a half an acre next to us that was for sale. $120,000. We wanted to build a fellowship hall because we shared school fellowship hall. We had to move chairs for potluck. It was a, it was a nuisance. And we wanted to buy a half an acre for $120,000 and build a fellowship hall, little school building separate, and um, do that. I spent a year in board meetings, finance committees, building committees, talking, discussing. We couldn't uh, agree on stuff. The guy took it off the market, and we lost the half acre. And I'm like, what did I do? And I didn't hear voices, but God was directly telling me, you didn't ask me. I mean, I'm busy. And my attendance is up, my tithe is up 30%, conference happy with me, but I'm bleeding on the inside, okay, burned out. I'm visiting, I involve elders, and we, we lost the half an acre. And God said, why, why don't you ask me and then ask the owner? And I'm like telling God, it's 4.30 in the morning. I'm out at the lake with my German shepherd dog, emphasis on German, because I discovered if I stay in the house at 4.30, I'm sleeping through my prayers. I know you never do that, but my prayer life needed a, a little extra help, so I early in the morning took my dog, went to the lake, dog happy, world still asleep, and I'm wrestling with God. Now what? He's like, ask me and ask him. I'm telling God, it's not for sale. And God's like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm talking to God. German shepherd, happy. Ask him. Ask the owner. So I pick up the phone. Shaking. Uh, we're, we're at the church next door. He says, I know you. Uh, we want to buy your property. He said, it's not for sale. I said, I know that, but I'd like to meet with you. Sometimes you have to be a stiff-necked German, you know? He said, that would be a waste of time. I'm building a car wash. Now, my church people told me car wash is fine, but Saturday nights, people don't wash their cars. They defile their souls, that part of town. 
We didn't want a car wash. I said, would Tuesday 6 p.m. be okay? This is not off the internet. This is from my life. You can check the church minutes. Would Tuesday 6 o'clock be okay? He said, uh, it's not for sale. I said, I, I realize that, but I'd like to meet you. We're neighbors. Would 6 o'clock work out? My church. He said, well, I guess so. I thought, buddy, I didn't say it. Buddy, you just lost. <laughs> he came with a lady. Body language was, I don't want to go to church. We met in the youth room. I had my elders in my office. An hour later, we shook hands for $60,000 half price. And I learned something about prayer and ministry and, and my knees and... Um, I could tell you more stories like this, but I want to tell you this. My son and I, my younger son, today went to Reno to, uh, to the car auction. Uh, he loves anything older than 1970. He can look at a bumper and tell you this is a 1967 GT450 with a small block LS1. And what they did, they adjusted the rear panel. <laughs> To me, an old car would be a 2014 Honda Civic with um, 48,000 miles on it. That's an old car that needs work, um, needs, needs to be vacuumed and an oil change. That's an old car for me. <laughs> he loves that old stuff, so I, I gave him my day today. And I'm listening to the auctioneer. I'm listening to all the guys looking at this old 1952 something, 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 something with this and that and this and that. And I'm thinking, God, how much you must be excited about taking us sinners and restoring them what they call it frame up or frame off. Frame off restoration. I saw cars 50 years old. They did not have a speck of dust on them. I don't think they drive them. <laughs> the tires were all black and the muffler was shiny. You could have probably gone like this and nothing in it. How much more does God want to take us old cars and restore them? And we can't be bought for a million dollars. Because we were bought in Christ alone. And somebody, thank God, at age 17, 18, my host family plus truth, love without truth is too soft and squishy. Truth without love is too hard and cold. But the combination of those two carried me through the roof to Jesus Christ. And he healed me. I'm no longer depressed. I no longer have neurodermatitis. And he said, rise, walk, take up your mat. Praise God. Frame up restoration. <laughs> I invite you to stand with me and thank God that he snatched me like a firebrand from the flames of hell. <laughs> Father, it's not my story. It is his story. And I want to thank you for rescuing me in Schlossgarten, Stuttgart, from, an, from a disaster. I want to thank you for healing my skin, for taking the depression from me, no more meds, from changing my diet, 
from taking Pink Floyd away from me, from sending me to church, to the Seventh-day Adventist church. I want to pray for my parents, my still neo-pagan, secular, postmodern brother, my little nephew, my sister-in-law, my whole family. Lord, thank you. And I want to pray for this crowd tonight. There's probably somebody here sitting metaphorically on a park bench in Stuttgart, Germany with the wheel t wheels turning with an offer from Satan, a good offer, but a deadly one. I want to pray for the one still eating kidney and cow tongue and pork belly. I want to pray for the ones that are in church doing good, but not praying and asking you. Lord, I pray tonight, tonight, for the entire spectrum of the human experience represented in this tent, that we will walk out of here in Christ alone. And we can only say, thank you, Jesus. We don't deserve it, but you gave us the gift of grace. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. In Christ alone, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen.